0: Hey folks, this week we are live from the PT Box at PTWomo95, a multi-experience showcase that explores the new ideas and innovations happening in men's fashion. My next guest is Blamo veteran and menswear legend Nick Wooster. Nick talks about visiting PTWomo for the first time in 1988, how buyers and editors need to look up to maintain their perspective, and discusses how Scott Schumann and Tommy Tan helped change the landscape of fairs and trade shows to come. All right, here we go. Right. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Pituomo. My name is Jeremy Kirkland. I host a podcast called Blamo. And uh, today I'm joined by the one and only Mr. Nick Wooster. Nick, how you doing? Hello, Pity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I'm super glad you're here. Because, uh, you know, it's funny before we started, you know, we were kind of chatting, just checking in on things. And there was this small line of people that were just forming around. And I was like, what are these? What's going on? I was like, oh, maybe they're trying to get in the sun. No, they're just lines of your humble fans looking to take photos with you. I think they wanted the sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a bunch of stuff that I've, I would love to talk to you about while you're here because I think you know you are one of the many people who have really helped shape PT for what it is now, and you've come through as a buyer, um, you know, a designer, and you know, I wanted to start at the beginning. Like, when was your first PT? When was that? January of 1988. 1988. 31 years ago. So 31 years. What was that like?
1: (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. Dries Van Noten used to sell here. Really? Yeah. Okay. And the sort of the fashion building was the one in the park. And there was only a thing called L'Ultra Womo, and that's where the designers were. Right. It was a whole different deal. There wasn't any of this, like no build out. It was all very sort of understated and quiet.
0: And what were you doing at the time then? I was a buyer at Barney's. So you're buying for Barney's? And were you here like the same amount of time? Was the fair as long? So the fair was set up that it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Right. And
1: the first three days were like it is now. And Sunday was open to the public. Okay. And as buyers at Barney's, the Pressman family insisted that we spend every waking moment here. Trying to find new things, and it's like we'd bring things to Fred or um, or Peter Rizzo, who was my boss, right. and they'd be like, "Yeah, go find some more." And it was just a constant search. It's like no booth was left undone.
0: So you would go to every single booth at Pitsy?
1: We did, and it was much <laughs> smaller, but it was still massive. Right. Yeah, it was. It was a whole different deal. And the other thing, you know, is that. Everyone who was here had a purpose. You were either a journalist or you were a vendor, right. which meant you were like an educator. You were teaching the editors and the buyers about product. Right. So it was a it was a different deal.
0: So yeah. So again, a little different than what it, what it is now with some of the. Uh, I, I believe I saw a. Gentleman in a top hat the other day was <laughs> quite nice. But um, what were some of the, like, do you remember one of the first brands that you saw that you were like, when you were here, we were like, wow, like, this is so much different than what I'm seeing in the US? I mean, you know, in 1988, like, Made in Italy was everything. Mm. I mean, the, it was like the holy
1: grail of luxury. So, you know, the thing that's so interesting is I can't actually uh, remember specific brands, but there were so many artisans and shoemakers and leather makers and glove makers and I was a tailor clothing buyer so I had a pretty finite group of people that I worked with but it was about seeing how things were presented colors the way things were made and people were more than generous with with talking about what they did they wanted to do that
0: right there's a lot of pride in it right It yeah. was like
1: it was like getting an
0: education right for sure So one of the things that, you know, over the years has started to happen is the rise of like photographers, street style documentation. You know, Scott, you know, our mutual friend was here the other day was talking about some of his stuff. When was it where you came and then you kind of had this stream of photographers around? Around like two, do you remember? So I do. Um, (laughs) I know precisely. So in January of
1: 2010 is when, for me, that started. Right. Because basically... The years between 2002 and 2009, I was living in Los Angeles and sort of wasn't part of this world. I had a different life, and I was, you know, happily in my 40s living in L.A., and and then I got the opportunity to be the men's fashion director, Nima Marcus, and Bergdorf Goodman. And although I didn't come to pity that January, um, the first round of shows in Milan mm-hmm. in January— Scott Schumann and Tommy Tan both took my picture on the
0: first day and published them, and that's really what changed my life right. in that way. Yeah. And so. I, I mean, I think one of the things that happened, it wasn't like, oh, we want to show this guy who's this buyer, but it was also, and I mean, as we're sitting here, I don't think I've ever met anyone who has such a unique style as you. And I say this in, in many complimentary ways, but I think the thing that like, gets me the most excited is you have the ability to go through these different looks and phases and motions but at the end of the day you're still yourself
1: so back then when i was a buyer at Bergdorf's, people used to call me molto (laughs) particolare which made me laugh which i just took as like weird or today maybe mutton dressed as lamb
0: (laughs) but i mean you 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 know i mean how is it that you're I think, you know, what you're wearing now, like, just this eye that you have, that you're able to just look at that and put that together. But you're still, I mean, I've i have tried that. I will be honest, before we left, I was with my friend, and uh, I i think I wore, like, two different things, then I had to change. And now, you know, I just look brown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just, like, you're trying to build this together.
1: You're down with the brown. I'm down
0: with the brown, man. Um,
1: <laughs> I mean... Listen, at the end of the day, I always say no one should look like this. I'm pointing to myself. Um, and I think it's all about sticking with something easy. You know, I make it difficult for myself. I think I might have talked about this before with you, but like I drag fucking bags around the world, you know, and the, and hence the term baggage. Yeah. Um, and really, at the end of the day, I crave a uniform. I would give anything to wear just navy blue. But, you know,
0: how many I how many bags did you check?
1: Well, I started with two. I have a third. It's being picked up separately because I'm taking the fucking train and there's no way that I can get. And
0: there will be a fourth before this is all said and done. I love it. This I'm is a fantastic. disaster. No, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's inspirational. So, one of the things that has started to change a little bit more of what you've been doing now is the, your collaborations because you've gone from such an influential you know buyer and I and obviously your own personal style to designing w- when did that start well in
1: 1995 I was given the great opportunity to be uh in, to work in design at Ralph Lauren right. and I went from being a buyer to working in design which you know I was super grateful for the opportunity and I certainly don't consider myself a designer in at all that but the thing is I like to do two things I like to go into showrooms and buy stuff. And I like to make shit. And you know, when I get to do those two things, I'm a really happy person. So what,
0: what is the, the current collaboration that you're doing right now?
1: So Paul and shark, and that's actually what I'm wearing. So, you Pretty know, funny. the, thank you. So the, the deal is that, and it really started with Lardini and I, again, have to give Uomo credit for giving me a, a platform mm. to be able to sort of put it out there. Um, you know, the Lardini family, Pitti, and, and now uh, Andrea Dini at Paul and Shark. I'm a, I also did a, a collaboration with FPM, yeah. the, uh, the luggage company, and uh, that actually turned out, I was really happy with how that turned out. You know, at the end of the day, I don't want to be a designer. I don't want to have a line or a brand, but mm-hmm. I'm happy to work with experts. And if I can contribute and, you know, help them out, then it is fun for me. And here's the deal. I, I designed that luggage with FPM because I want to carry those bags. Right. And it's the same thing, like the stuff I work on with Paul and Shark. I'm only in it for the clothes.
0: Well, I think, to be honest, if there were more people like you, I think the industry would be in a lot better place because a lot of times when people are designing, and you're aware of this too, it's like, well, let's get the biggest, you know, return on this or let's get the biggest margin off of this. And for you, it still comes back to art, it comes back to your love of clothes. I mean, I, I, I listen, I, it's art and science.
1: I do understand at the end of the day that it's a business and we have to keep it going. Right. And not everyone wants the same thing that I want, but there has to be some seduction. There has to be some passion. Somebody's got to be interested in something. Even if they're not buying a short sleeve puffer, maybe there's a long sleeve bomber jacket also in Prince of Wales that they could wear. right? You know, so it's like, I, it used to make me crazy when I was a buyer and they would say... You know, don't buy for yourself. Buy for the customer. And I was like, "Excuse me,
0: I am the customer." (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good example. Um, So, I mean, to the other buyers and stuff that are here, I mean, what other advice would you share, other than other than that? I mean, you know, here. Okay, this is one I
1: used to say. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mention the store. Sure. But I used to (laughs) tell the buyers, look up, because they would be their their faces would be buried in their computers or pieces of paper, and it's like you're in Paris, you're in Florence, you're in Milan, look up. Right. Like, you know, they just are so buried in the history or the, oh my God, I sold blue last year. I need uh, 37%. Uh. Like, <laughs> how, about
0: looking, how about looking at what's in front of you and making a decision based on that? Yeah. I, well, it's, I mean, I've talked to M- Massimo over at Cuccinelli and that's like a big thing with him is like, you know, please put your phone down. Please stop trying to look at your Excel spreadsheet. Like, what, what do you, how does this make you feel? And and the thing that I'm afraid is that there aren't very many buyers
1: that are able to do that. And I, I mean that. I mean, they're able to analyze the business. They can data process and do spreadsheets and pivot tables and all that's super important. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be able to look at two things and say, this is the better one.
0: Right. Or this is beautiful because. Yeah. And, you know, look up. Right. Right. So I mean we we just have a little bit of time left but some of the things that have changed obviously is e-commerce that's here and there's a lot of people who are buying you know for stores that are basically somewhat one site but is all over the world um you know what what would be the things that like you would like how how is your buying changed and your shopping changed through e-commerce. Well,
1: I mean, so here's the thing. Obviously, f- the, f- the, from the buying side, it's changed immensely because of data. I mean, they are data-driven, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I still believe there has to be an emotional component, and certain sites do that better than others, and I think that that's good because you can sort of see it. Right. It goes back to what Fred Pressman you know, taught me, which is if you do beautiful things, people will respond. Right. If you buy beautiful things, if you have a beautiful store, if you have a beautiful site, if you, you know, if you have good taste, ultimately those things should prevail. Right. And, you know, and I get that it's not 1987, but I do think that... Look, it's like why people carry an Apple phone versus, why many people choose to carry an Apple phone versus a Samsung. Right. You know, the Samsung one may function for some people better. Yeah. But mine looks better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, like my, you know, experience of retail, like I still want to go into shops all the time and not just because I'm a fan, but because like I want that experience of being inside, getting offered a drink, sitting, you know, in the couch, like, getting to see the entire expression of a brand instead of, you know, occasionally sometimes when it's clicks. And so I think sometimes there's like this challenge and some sites do it really, really well, you know, like Mr. Porter and there's a few other ones. But then I think, you know, still some of these companies that are able to make this experience in store that's totally unlike anything I've ever had. Right.
1: Comme des Garcons, I mean, you know, Dover Street Market. I mean, for me, that's the department store of the future. Yeah. Because it's inspiring and it's always changing. It's never the same. And I think that's super critical. But, you know, so is a Nike store. I mean, that new Nike store on Fifth Avenue is crazy. Right. Um, So I do believe that retail is as important or even more important than ever. Brick and mortar retail. Yeah. But if it's very mediocre or you're doing the same thing you were doing 10 years ago, you're going to fail.
0: Yeah. Especially, you know, earlier we had bumped into Ethan uh, Bricelands and, you know, for him one of the big like, aspects for him of retail is like, I don't want to sell things if I have to put it on sale. I
1: mean, as a concept, he's <laughs> a thousand percent right. Right. As a business, business? plan. N- right. N- I mean, because here's the thing. <laughs> I make lots of mistakes. So although <laughs> I, I, it seems like a good idea at the time, Sure. they're not all a good idea. Right. I mean, there's not a decision that I made six months ago that I would necessarily stand by 100%. And that's not to say that what, I I think for certain things, sure. brown shoes, black, you know, leather-soled shoes, Goodyear welted shoes, you know, ta- gray flannel suits, white shirts. No, those things should not go on sale. But if you, but a short sleeve puffer jackets, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. For sure. So um, there's a couple of different retail stores that are around here and like there's, uh, LVR and some of those other shops and, you know, like Italy as like culture, like continues to me to really still feel to be a place where a lot of that stuff's at, you know, are there any other shops that you really like that you, you tend to, to gravitate towards? I'm a huge fan of Antonia in Milan. I mm-hmm. think they do a really good job. Um...
1: And then for me, Japan, I mean, I can't get it. Well, actually, no, let me go back. In sure. London, Hostum and Blue Mountain School right. are two of the most amazing shops I've seen. Um, yeah, because, Hostum's a great shop. Because they're creating experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Japan, I mean, you know, uh, I don't even know where to start. Like, well, you're like an ambassador of Japan, uh, you know, unofficial. I'm happy to take that mantle, and um, I'll be there in March. Um, I mean, you know, that to me is one of the great pleasures of my life, is the ability to be able to do that. And it's so inspiring. It never ceases to amaze me there.
0: Um, I mean, what is it you think that the Japanese are able to to do with their retail experiences that translate so well? Okay, where do I
1: start? Okay. Um, So, just like the Pressman family in 1987, they are hyper focused on product they're focused on education mm. they're focused on quality and they're focused on on experience like when you it doesn't matter if you go to the family mart that's probably not a good example if you go to tokyo hands and buy right. you know some stickers somebody is still very thoughtfully folding and presenting the package to you in such a way that you feel like that 10 dollar thing you know, is just as important to them as a thousand dollars sale, and the, and it permeates the culture. When you when they're finished, you know, wrapping your purchase, they don't hand you the bag over the counter. They walk you to the door, or walk you to the curb right. and present the bag to you. Then they don't do that in, in the states. I mean, <laughs> they don't do that in Europe. And and it's that attention to detail that it, you know that taking that moment to make you feel super special that keeps me coming back
0: yeah like a real beauty and and the art of service of all that
1: you know one of the things that i posted on instagram once which i i got so many negative comments about it i was like what the fuck are you people you know this is where (laughs) like all of this sort of like pc shit makes me crazy so when it rains okay and you're shopping they cover well first of all they double bag with the regular shopping bag and then turn another bag upside down cover it and then cover the entire thing in plastic so that your bag doesn't get wet. Right. It's so amazing. People were like, because I, I did a video at the Nike store of them like making this whole beautiful presentation. I mean, they were like, why are they wasting so much plastic? Like, I mean, you know, okay, sure. But at the same time, my purchases did not get wet. Yeah. And you could be like, uh, and it was I, beautifully done. I uh, reused
0: the plastic later. Leave me alone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there is something like that that I... Because of you know the world is getting a little bit smaller and because of people like you are able to tell these stories on such a large platform that people see it and they do get inspired. And I mean' it's, it's good. I, I hope that that continues to happen because you know I for one know a lot of stores in the states that view you know Japan and Japan retail as mecca and they want to go over there and try to find a way to, to replicate some of those acts of service.
1: Listen, but it's got to be it's got to come from an authentic place. I mean, mm. you e- you either are or you aren't, you know that way. And certainly in the states, the Apple Store, you can't really beat for gestalt. Like it just works, the whole thing. And although they may not be walking you to the curb with your purchase, there are other things and ways that they do, you know, to make I think to make you feel to make you feel good about being part of their ecosystem. But the same thing is true of Kith. I mean, Okay, no, it's a Keith different and, yeah, it's New a different York. experience, but I mean, but I, I but sorry guys, that's the future. Like you know, Ronnie has figured something out. I agree, and Ronnie's you know, it's I mean, he's doing the job of what specialty of what you know luxury specialty
0: stores used to do. Mm. Sorry guys. No. That's oh, sorry, fine. those retailers. Well, Nick, it was a huge pleasure. Thank you so much. I know you're really busy, so I'll let you get back to what you're doing. But thanks a lot for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me, Charlie. Uh,
0: it was good seeing you, Nick. Take care, man. Thanks.